Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Page 106 of Footsteps of Messiah. Let's do a little bit about the Northern Alliance invasion of Israel, the invasion of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I have put this in order after Psalm 83. So we studied Psalm 83, the all Arab invasion of Israel and how Israel decimates those people. Decimates the, the bordering states of Arab, uh, Arabs that surround them. And so now we're moving to a second invasion of a non-Arab invasion that includes Islamic countries. 106 in your book. Okay, let's go over the alliance right there in the middle of your page. The alliance in Ezekiel 38. Let's read that. It says this, And the word of uh, Jehovah, or Yahweh, came to, unto me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So let's stop right there and talk about Gog. Gog is a title um, for the leader of this. It's not a, a country, but it's uh, the title of a leader. So it's like saying Caesar or King or Kaiser. It's it's a, a leadership name, basically, okay? So don't get caught up in that. That's just like saying the king, okay? The interesting thing is the land of Magog. Okay, so basically we have to identify where this is at. Well, we go to ancient sources to find this out. And basically when we look at the ancient sources of Jacinius and we look at the Byzantine writers, we look at ancient writers of the rabbis, we look at Egyptian inscriptions, we look at inscriptions by Sargon, Sennacherib, uh, Ugaritic texts about these ancient names. And what we get uh, is the area between the Black and Caspian Seas, which is southern Russia. Magog, as you remember, is the second son of Japheth, and he settled in that northern area right there. These people were called the Scythians, the Scythians, or the Colchai people. The etymology of the word Gog Casas, Gog Casas was that area, Gog Casas. The region then became known as the Caucasus, the Caucasus. And then you've heard of the Caucasus Mountains, or you heard the word Caucasian. Okay, Caucasian or Caucasus Mountains goes back to Gog Caucasus. Back to Magog and Gog, the area of Gog, or the land of Magog. The other etymology of this word came from another source called the, the Gorgies, or that's where the, the term Gorgons came from. You remember in the classic Greek literature, the Gorgons? The etymology of the word then became known as the Georgians. Okay, so Georgia, you know where Georgia, not in the United States, <laughs> The other Georgia, the first Georgia, that's where the Gorgons were and the Caucasus were, the Caucasians. These people were known to be, have blue eyes and red hair. And the term Caucasian came from them. Okay. Again, southern Russia is the area of the land of Magog. The idea of the Prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, I have, I have studied the etymologies of the words. 
And there is no doubt with all of his studies that Rosh is, a, is the ancient word for Russia, southern Russia. Meshach is the ancient word of Moscow, and Tubal is, is the ancient word of Tobolsk. So um, Moscow and Tobolsk are the western and eastern areas of Russia. If you look on a map where Tobolsk is and Moscow, it's the two legs of Russia. I have studied this ad infinitum about the etymology of the names because I know there's debate on it, but you know where the debate is from? That they that people who doubt that this is Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, or Moscow and Tubalisk, it comes from preterists, it comes from amillennialists, and it comes from postmillennialists. I find that very interesting, that they will deny the etymologies of these words because it fits their eschatology. Because I'm telling you what, if you use Jensenius, you use the ancient G Egyptian inscriptions, you use what the rabbis taught about these places, it is Moscow and Tobolsk and Russia. There is no doubt. So if you just take it at face value, and, you, and Jensenius was one of the greatest Hebrew scholars there were. He died in 1842. And there's no doubt, according to him, the rabbis, everything else, this is where this confederation is from. It's the driving force of this confederation. So it is proper to say that Russia and the king of Russia or the emperor of Russia will lead in the charge of this alliance. Now, this is very interesting. We learned back in the spring that there's two legs of the Roman Empire that are still in effect. You have the western leg, which is centered in Western Europe, and then you have the eastern leg, and that eastern leg is centered in Russia. And what does Russia call their kings? Czars. The term is come from Caesar. Okay? It's Caesar. So in essence, when you look at a guy like Putin, he's Caesar for the eastern leg of Russia, or eastern leg of the Roman Empire. And so this is what we're talking about, this eastern leg that's going to be the main driving force between this alliance. Okay, and it says, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord Yahweh, or Jehovah, behold, I am against you, O Gog. So that's the leader. So if it was modern day today, you're talking about Putin. Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Basically all of Russia, including, that. Tubal includes Siberia. And I will turn you about and will put hooks into your jaws and I will bring you forth all and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them handling swords. Okay, so you're going to bring your whole military against Israel. Now, it's going to talk about his alliances. Persia. You know what that is. It's Iran. Okay. Cush. It's either Ethiopia or Sudan. Probably Ethiopia. Okay. That's another player. And put, which is either Libya or Somalia, where uh, a lot of a lot of arguments for Libya. All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer. A lot of people say it's East Germany, the Cimmerians, or the Armenians. The rabbis said Gomer was Germany or East Germany. We don't, I, again, there's debate on if it's Armenia, which is be Turkey or Germany. And all his hordes and the house of Togoma. That definitely is is modern Turkey or Armenia. This, Togomar was the grandson of Japheth. This is the third, uh, and the third son of Gomer. So, you're talking about Turkey being included in this, definitely. 
And then in the uttermost parts of the north and all of his hordes, even many peoples with you. So there, it adds on, there's some other countries uh, associated with this that will be in part of this alliance. But nonetheless, here are the players. Now, my friends, Ezekiel made this prophecy 2,500 years ago. The alliance, at least with two of the nations of Russia and Iran or Persia, has never happened in all of biblical history until today. Until today. This is how prophetically significant it is that Russia and Iran are dancing together in this deal in the Middle East, that are working together. That's not happened in 2,500 years, and you're privileged to see that alliance according to what Ezekiel said. I think that's that's phenomenal. I think that's amazing. Um, notice the players. They are non-Arabs. Because an all-Arab war has already happened, I believe, in Psalm 83. I think Psalm 83 invasion happens prior to this because it includes no Arab nations. The Arabs are now gone. And as we saw with Psalm 83, they're decimated. And Israel has enhanced its borders. And Israel has enlarged its territory to include oil areas in Saudi Arabia, at least northern parts of Saudi Arabia. So the whole, the whole scene of the world has changed. Okay, so so far we're all good on the names and etymologies of the names and who the players are. Okay, then please turn to page 109, and we'll look at the object of the invasion on the bottom of the page. And it says, the object of the invasion, and let's, re let's read this. Be you prepared, ye, prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled unto you, and be, be you a guard unto them. After many days you shall be visited. Notice, here's the timing element, in the latter years. That means in the last days. This is not a historical thing that happened in the past, like preterists and all-millennialists and post-millennialists want to talk about. It says in the last days, which means in the last days of Israel, this is prior to the tribulation. So it's a futuristic prophecy. You shall come into the land that is brought back from the sword. Now notice that, that's very interesting. Ezekiel is making reference to Israel that they're being brought back out of the land or into the land from the sword. What has the sword been? The sword has been the disciplining hand of God for the rejection of the Messiah. And what was the disciplining hand? I'm kicking you out of the land. And he kicked them out of the land for nearly 2,000 years. Well, they're coming out of that judgment from the sword. They're coming into the land. Folks, that could have only happened at a certain date and time in, in our history. When did that happen? 1948. May, to be specific. That never happened in 1000 A.D. or uh, 1500 A.D. It happened in 1948 that Israel finally came back as a country into their land. That's prophetically significant. Now watch. You should be come, back to the, come into the land that is brought back from the sword that is gathered out of many people. So they come from all the nations because Israel was scattered among the nations, right? Upon the mountains of Israel, that's uh, prophetically significant, which have been a continual waste. Yes, that's true. For 2,000 years, the whole land was a continual waste. Like I told you about Mark Twain, he said this thing looks like the moonscape. And it says, you're going to come back and take the mountains of Israel. Now, that's, that's prophetically significant. You have your map. It says Israel's topography on there. I just wanted to show you this real quick. So when you under, when I say the mountains, or Ezekiel says the mountains, you know what he's referring to. Okay, you see where uh, Capernaum is on the top of Galilee. Okay, you move down into where Megiddo is, and that's the Jezreel Valley. 
Okay, from Megiddo or the Jezreel Valley or even Galilee, you can obviously see the ridge line and you can obviously see the, the Jordanian rift right there, the rift valley between the Galilee and the Dead Sea where it just sinks down, right? Where the Jordan River flows. Okay, we're not looking east of Jordan, we're looking to the west. And that mountain range that goes from all the way up to probably, you know, by Capernaum, on the western side of the sea, you go down all those mountains all the way down. It includes Jerusalem. You keep going down to Bethlehem. That's all in the mountains of Israel. And you go all the way down to um, the desert of the Negev to Beersheba. See number four down there? The very bottom of your map, number four, next to 33. That is called Beersheba. Okay, the mountain range of Israel extends from the Capernaum area, all the way down to Beersheba. Okay? So when it talks about the mountains of Israel, that's the mountains. So we're not talking about the Mediterranean. That's the mountain range we're talking about. Okay. What's important about it? It says you're going to come back and settle on those mountains that have been in continual waste and under the disciplining hand of the Lord. Okay. The first thing we, we know about these mountains is when Israel got back in 1948, they were not successful in taking the mountains. They had a hard time getting control of the mountains, so they didn't have it. They were basically along the Mediterranean and around Galilee, but they didn't have control of the mountains. It was not until 1967, in the Six-Day War, did Israel capture that mountain range. And in 1967, that is prophetically significant, but now... Because now Israel has control of the mountain ranges, which is exactly what Ezekiel predicted. And eventually, that's where the war will be. Now, the little sliver, if you see where Jerusalem, there's a little sliver that, that cuts into Jerusalem and still controlled by Jordanian, the Jordanian kings, which is East Jerusalem's control, uh, controlled by them. But for the most part, basically, the mountains are now in control of Israel. This is important. We'll see later on the text. So that's the ranch. Keep that in mind, okay? So he says you're going to be on the mountains of Israel, which were a continual way. So that happened in 1967. But it is brought forth out of the peoples that they should dwell securely. That word securely is batak. It's not shalom. It's not peace. It's military peace. It's military security, okay? That's, in, that's important. All of them. And you shall ascend. You shall come like a storm. And you shall be like a cloud to cover the land, you, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. So the, the invasion will be significantly large. Let's go to the next page. What is God's goal? Well, there's some implications in this text that will show you that this could only happen in our modern day. In Ezekiel 38, 10 through 13 says, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, it shall come to pass in that day that things shall come into your minds and you shall devise an evil device. And you, sh you shall say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. Notice that, unwalled villages. That is the modern day kibbutz movement. The modern day kibbutz movement fulfills an unwalled village. That's exactly how the kibbutz are set up in Israel. I don't agree with the kibbutz system because it's very communistic, socialistic. And remember that a lot of the Jews came out of Europe with a communistic mindset. And they, they, the kibbutz, if you ever stay in a the kibbutz, they share everything. They work for the common good. I don't agree with it. 
but it is what makes up Israel as an unwalled village. So it satisfies that. And then it says, I will go to them that are at, are at rest. And again, this is not a, a rest of peace, but this is a military rest. Um, that dwell securely. And here's the idea of batak. And batak means um, they're military secure. Their safety is derived militarily is the idea on that. Okay, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. So the idea is something has happened with their neighbors. Something has happened that Israel doesn't need any walls anymore. Israel doesn't need any protections anymore. Okay, they have a wall now to keep the Palestinians from going nuts on them. And the wall is actually very effective. It, pre it prevents about 90 to 95% of terrorist activities, the wall does. But in this situation, there's no need for walls anymore. Well, that could only imply that Psalm 83 has happened before this because what happens to the Gaza Strip and the, the, the uh, West Bank? It's all taken out. There is no more Gaza Strip anymore. There is no more West Bank because Israel has thoroughly throttled them and there's no more inhabitants there. So it makes sense that this would be after Psalm 83. Okay? And notice the other condition. To take the spoil and to take the prey. Now that's very interesting. The spoil, it didn't say the wealth of Israel or the goods of Israel. It says that the spoils that they have, they want. That could only be satisfied of a condition. Where do you get spoils from? War. Something has happened prior to this invasion that has gained Israel spoils from a war. This is why I contend, and I really believe that Psalm 83 happens prior to this, because that war in not only enlarges territory of Israel, but gets them to secure Saudi Arabia. Folks, if you've got Saudi Arabia, you have oil. You definitely understand why Israel, I'm sorry, uh, Russia would want to attack Israel for that spoil. It is not for Dead Sea salt. It is not for uh, the minerals that come out of there. It's not even for the gas that comes out of Haifa. It would definitely be oil. And so I think, with what the Scripture is saying and the clues that we're getting, a war has happened prior, and Israel has enriched themselves, and they have spoils, and this is what's drawing God to come after Israel. And to take prey and to turn your hand against the waste peoples that are now inhabited and against the people that are gathered out of the nations. That's Israel. That's, that's, that's Ezekiel 37. That's the, uh, the dry bones vision. That's 1948, my friends. That have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the middle of the earth. Israel is considered the middle of the earth, by the way. And it's equal, if you measure equal, uh, Israel out over all the parts of the world, it's, uh, it, it averages equal distance to most parts of the world. Very interesting, huh? Um, but notice this. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto you, are you come to take spoil? Have you assembled your company to take prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take great spoil? Okay, who's Sheba and Dedan? Saudi Arabia. That's very easy. Merchants of Tarshish, very easy. It's... It, the, the original place was Spain. But then Tarsus spread, and the region of Tarsus was known as Spain, West, Upper Western Europe, even North Africa. So that whole area that 
that bordered the Atlantic Ocean, traded with all the Mediterranean, was considered Tarsus. And Solomon's Day was particularly located in Spain, but it branched out to include Western Europe. So basically what you're seeing here, the merchants of Tarsus, North Africa, Western Europe. Okay? So the merchants of Tarsus, Western Europe, and the young lines thereof. The young lines refer to births, young lines that were, that were spawned out of Tarsus is the idea. And so you start naming the countries that were birthed out of North Africa, Spain, Portugal, England, all the Western Europe's. Start na you can start naming them right off the bat. It's the Western Hemisphere. You, you're looking at South America, Central America, North America. You're looking at Australia, New Zealand, all these places. So the young lines of Tarshish and Western Europe and Saudi Arabia don't get involved, take a position of neutrality, and all they do is like the UN and question, why do you attack Israel? Are you doing it to take their spoils of war? And that's all they do. So the young lines of Tarshish are sitting back watching this happen, along with Saudi Arabia. Isn't that interesting? That Saudi Arabia is going to sit this one out. The players are already lined up. I think it's amazing. Now let's, let's, uh, let's move on uh, to page 112, God's, God's goal. The, the, the reason God is allowing this. So this is all happening for a reason. Page 112 in Ezekiel 38, 14 through 16, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, In that day when my people, notice that phrase, notice the phrase, my people, they are now back in client status. That's prophetically significant because they lost the client status when they rejected Messiah. And in their disciplining act, they were not called my people. They were called no, not my people. Remember that prediction. And the idea now is they're back as the client nation, and God is now calling Israel my people again. And when he calls them my people, that means he's working in them to do something. And boy, howdy, does he ever work. And watch this. Dwell securely. There's that word, batak again. Dwell securely, militarily secure. Shall you not know it? And you shall come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding upon horses, a great company, a mighty army, and you shall come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. That, that, that term, a cloud to cover the land, means that they will have initial success. It will look like Israel is going to be obliterated is the idea. It shall come to pass in the later, in the latter days or in the end times that I will bring you against my land. Notice the term my land is Israel's God's land. That the nations, these are the goyim, may know me when I shall be sanctified in you, O God, before their eyes. I am going to make a statement to the world, not only to Israel, but to all the goyim nations. I'm going to make a statement that this is going to happen to show the world one thing and one thing. 
And by the way, when we look at the timing elements, this will be important of why God is sending a message to the entire planet. The tribulation is following on its heels. That's why. Judgment, the wrath of the Lamb is getting ready to be poured out and they haven't seen nothing yet. If they think this was unbelievable at what happens, they have no idea what's getting ready to come. And so God is trying to send His grace and mercy prior to the tribulation, even in this invasion, to wake everyone up that something's getting ready to happen. Okay, next page. Destruction of the invaders. Ezekiel 38, next page, 113. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Are you he of whom I spoke in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, that prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? This is 2,500 years ago, my friends. And it shall come to pass in that day when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, says the Lord Yahweh, that my wrath shall come upon up into my nostrils. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day, there's a couple things that will happen. There should be a great shaking in the land of Israel. That's number one, a great earthquake, okay? So that the fishes of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. This is a global earthquake. The whole planet will feel the shaking at this battle. Just so that everybody in every nation, whether you're in Australia or whether some dude's in some outpost in Antarctica, they will feel this earthquake like they've never felt before. The whole planet will feel this. Okay. And then he goes, And I will call for a sword against him unto all my mountains, says the Lord Yahweh. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. That's very interesting. God will cause a civil war between the alliances. So Russia and Iran and Libya and Ethiopia and Sudan will have friendly fire. They will actually start uh, fighting themselves. This happened many, many times in the Old Testament, by the way, where the, the armies turned on themselves. He says, I want to do that to them. I'm going to turn them on each other. They will kill each other. And with pestilence, so now we're talking about plagues will be sent. And with blood, I will enter into judgment with him. And I will rain upon him and upon his hordes and upon the many peoples that are with him an overflowing shower and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. So I'm going to bring supernatural fire and brimstone down like I did on Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy this army is the idea. Torrential. And I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will make myself known in the eyes of many Goyim, Gentiles, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. So there is not only the destruction, but the reason God is doing this. You will know me. That God is the source of Israel's victory. Now, turn to the next page. It's a place of destruction. This is going to your mountain stuff. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you about and will lead you on. And you will cause, and I will cause you to come up from the uttermost parts of the north, and I will bring you upon the mountains of Israel. So they're going to attack Israel from the north, okay? And I will smite your bow out of your left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of your right hand. Okay, that's a, a, a repeat or a law of recurrence. It's repeating what he said in Ezekiel 39. But here's the new information: You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel. That's the new information. You and all your hordes 
and the peoples that are with you. So that's the the new information God wants people to know. I will give you unto the raven, ravenous birds of every sort, so the birds will clean up the bodies, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured, so their flesh will be eaten by the animals. You shall fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, says the Lord Yahweh. Okay, so if you turn to your map again, remember I showed you Israel had to get the mountains? So the overcoming storm that comes from the north attacks Israel on the mountains, and God destroys the, the invasion on the mountains of Israel. So all over these mountains will be strewn all the dead corpses from God killing these people, not only from the earthquakes, but from the hailfire and brimstone that will rain down upon them. They will all be scattered upon the mountains of Israel. So, we're talking millions of bodies. Millions of bodies. I mean, if you put all these hordes together of Iranians, Russians, Ethiopians, you're in the millions now. And this is... A big problem for Israel. A big problem. Yes, that's, and that's what we're going to uh, see in just a moment. The bodies are strewn all over Israel and laying their dead. So what God does, and he'll do this in, even at the second coming, is he will have the birds and the animals come and eat the carcasses to clean up the mess. It takes Israel seven years to clean this mess up. Seven years to clean the dead bodies up. In fact, it becomes the nation's one job for seven years. In fact, what you'll see, it says all of Israel will be involved in cleaning up the bodies. They will actually make a boomtown city. Like, you know, in the Old West where they had boom towns, uh, boom towns where they would have the gold and silver and a, a town would pop up. A town pops up as a cemetery for these dead bodies. And so... When it says all Israel, basically what happens in Israel is everybody stops their job and they go to clean up these dead bodies on the mountains. And it takes them seven years to clean these dead bodies up. It's amazing. That's the, the, the ravages. And the reason it takes so long is because it happened where? On the mountains of Israel. Have anybody ever seen the mountains of Israel? There are cr there's cracks and crags and all kinds of weird things. Bodies will get jammed in these crevices, and they will have to go in there and pull them out. And you say, well, what's the big difference? Why did you just leave it there? Because right now today, believe it or not, they're, they want to keep the land from being purified. They're following Mosaic law. And you cannot have a dead corpse out. That's why they have to bury things very quickly. They actually today have a group that goes around that, like if there's a suicide bombing in a, in a uh, pizza parlor, there is a, like a hazmat, they have their own kind of hazmat, but it's, it has, it's totally religious. Those people go in and kick up any body part they find, and they have to bury it and mark it to be halak. And to keep the land purified. So there's a group of Hasidics that do this, even today, they already have them in place. But eventually, they will do this for the entire country. So the mechanism is already in place. They already do it now today. And so we'll see that next week. If you understand pre-tribulational events, if this goes down in our lifetime, you're going to see the world completely change right in front of your very eyes. And I think what you're seeing is the whole table is being set up for this right now. We're seeing things get put in place. Uh, hey, the rapture could happen tonight, but we are not promised 
to miss these events. The only thing promised is that you will miss the tribulation. Now, if these things go down, hey, God knows who you are. He knows you're a believer. He'll protect you. But it doesn't mean that secondary causes will affect you and the, con the global economy will crash and all things oil will go up in smoke. Yeah, there's no doubt. God, though, watches out for us. You don't need to lose sleep, but it's possible we could definitely see these events happen in our very lifetime. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.